Oh, happy spring break, everyone. Uh, first, thank you for those who prayed through this week and sent messages of encouragement. Uh, for those of you who don't know, while I love teaching, and I'm incredibly excited and thankful uh, for each opportunity to do so, uh, I also get a healthy portion of fear and anxiety. So that's why my water's already down to here before I even, like, said anything. Um, you know, even though, like, sometimes it can be arresting, like, I could not keep telling the youth to step forward in faith, not backwards in fear, if I'm unwilling to do the same kinds of things. Um, plus, as a bonus, because of my nerves, uh, I tend to speak more quickly, so should be a pretty early night. Uh, Rebecca told me to speak like Flash, the sloth from Zootopia. So welcome to your second sermon of Lent. No, that's kidding. Uh, Lent, of course, is the spiritual season before Easter in which we acknowledge and enter into the suffering of Jesus. Or as the great Marty McFly once said, Whoa, Doc, this is heavy. Um, if I'm being completely honest, like, it, w- it was a little bit of a struggle first for me when I found out that I would be teaching in the middle of Lent. Um, in fact, I had texted Adam the phrase, uh, half-jokingly, I hate Lent. Um, for those who know me best, uh, I wrestle with, with low thoughts and low emotions, and it's been a battle most of my life. Um, Some of those bouts have been long and intense. And for that reason, I am especially careful about how I step into seasons of low feelings and how long I stay there. Uh, Watching one depressing movie isn't really a problem. Uh, Binging five seasons of a depressing show over spring break is a pass for me. Um, so these past couple of years for Lent, I'll admit that I've probably given minimal effort into the season. Uh, so far this year, I've been much more open to it. And to my surprise, this has been one of the most life-giving seasons, believe it or not, uh, that I've had in a long time. Uh, many of those reasons, I think, come through in this lesson Uh, Before we dive right into scripture, I want to remind us of four key questions that we're keeping an eye on through each week of the series. Uh, Where's our world in this story? Where's Jesus in this story? Where are we in this story? And where is our hope? Our second Lent, or our second lesson of Lent is titled, Together we deny him. The passage we're going to focus on in Matthew is chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. Let's take a look at that now, and we'll revisit it throughout. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway. 
where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know this man. In a little while, and after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man. Immediately, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Previously on the Neighborhood Church Lent series, we revisited the betrayal of Jesus. Uh, this betrayal was by his disciples, and I want to give us a quick catch-up of where the, this world is, where this world is in the story, who's kind of the people around this setting. I'm sure most of you know. We won't spend too long on this part. But So we're in Jerusalem. Rome is in power. Frankly, Rome is busy making sure Rome is great. Uh, as long as peace is kept and everyone remembers that Rome is number one, uh, then nobody's going to lose their heads. Most Roman governors prefer to let the local city and religious leaders take care of any minor squabbles. Those local leaders make up the city council or the temple council. You know these type of people, well-off, religious elite. Uh, They've grown comfortable with the lifestyles and systems in place as long as they keep benefiting them and the people that look like them. Uh, The teachings of Jesus directly threatens this. So many of them are actively looking for a way to tear Jesus down and squash his following. Another group is the followers of Jesus. More more specifically, his disciples. Uh, Simon Simon, Peter and Judas being among them. And lastly, we have Jesus. Their leader, he is the anointed one, Messiah, God with us, the one that many of us eventually call Lord, king over all heaven and earth, the one who loves us more than anything or anyone has ever loved us. You see, the identity of Jesus is important here because we're closing in on an event that's quickly unfolding Because our world is being confronted with this identity, and its reaction to it is based on the acceptance or denial of it. Jesus spoke about this a short time ago in Matthew 16. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh or blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, because Peter meant rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So how do we, and how do Peter, 
get from this situation to Peter publicly denying Jesus on multiple occasions. <clears throat> First, let's take a look at where Jesus is. If we fast forward the story just a bit, Jesus and his disciples are at the Last Supper. This is a key moment. Jesus is having his final moments with his followers before they betray him, before one of them betrays him. Uh, he shares a meal with them, and during his conversations, he says this. Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away, on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But, but Peter declared, even if I have to die for you, I will never disown you. Then all the other disciples did their best Spartacus impression, stood up and said the same. We all know Peter is going to eat his words very soon. Uh, and we all know what that feels like. Uh, I'm kind of the king of foot and mouth sayings around like my family and friends. Um, I'm sure you can ask them later on and they will fill you in on some stories. You know, when, when I started to prepare for this lesson and I was told it, the lesson would be together we deny him, I have to admit my inner Peter came out a little bit and my chest kind of puffed up and internally I thought, I don't deny him. I don't deny Jesus. And, and then I sat down and I started to write in my journal and I started to list all the ways that I do deny Jesus in some way in my life. And by the end of the third page, I just closed it, pushed it to the side and said, Lord, I'm sorry. And uh, not to like feel guilty in any way. And you'll see why there's no reason to feel guilty uh, because of where we find our hope. But coming back to Jesus, where he is, is in the story. He's at the Last Supper. He's shared it. He's been betrayed by Judas. He's been handed over to the temple council, and his disciples have now scattered. He's been abandoned by all who love him. He's been questioned, accused, punched, slapped. His clothes have been ripped off. He's been spat on, yelled at, and he's left to face it all alone. So where's Peter then? Where are we at in this story? At first, Peter stays close, close enough that he can kind of make out what's happening, but not close enough that he thinks he's going to be associated with it. Isn't this the unoriginal example of how all of our sinful situations start out? Jesus at arm's length. We create just enough space and whether it be fear or desire or lust or complacency or self-preservation like Peter here, we take a step back and leave just enough room for that distracting force to sneak in between us and Jesus. And it turns our focus away. But pay attention to the progression of things. and Watch how little chips start to become larger cracks 
and they become more and more damaging. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And I think we have a couple of pictures of Peter. They will. So, first off, I don't know why, but Peter's like always pictured as really old and white. And he's always wearing blue, which I don't get. I don't know. I missed something about that. Sid laughs like he knows. He's going to fill me in later. <laughs> so you got Peter, and then there was the girl there in the last picture. And, I mean, just think about it. Like today, men and women, things aren't really equal, right? Like at best, what is it, 60% equal in our world? Like women have it rough. They are completely as capable as men, but things just aren't equal as far as our society is set up. But in this girl's day, what was it, like 1%? I mean, and beyond that, she's a servant, a young girl who's a servant. If anybody knows what it's like to live day-to-day in fear, it's probably her. But this is the one that's making Peter scared. This is the one that's, that's frightening him, that's making his focus shift away. Peter is, he's always the one that's emboldened, right? He's always the brave disciple. And yet this little instant, this little young girl just kind of makes him take that step back, that first step back. She scares him enough that it deflects, it causes him to deflect the question about associating with Jesus. The one who not so long ago promised to Peter that his church would be built on him. Peter takes that step away from Jesus and his suffering, and in turn, he steps, starts to step towards something else, a different way. Then the next verse is, then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. So we see this progression now. At first it was, I don't know him, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about, and now he's starting to make oaths. And I have another picture here. <coughs> there he is again. Old man in blue. And he's just like, what? Me? Like, here's these guys trying to get along in their card game. They're playing spades. <laughs> and he's calling them out because someone played, it looks like an ace of spades there, even though spades haven't been broken yet. And then the girl's like, hey, he's with Jesus. And he's like, no. <clears throat> but he swears down an oath. I don't know this man. Things are escalating. Peter takes another step, and his deflection has grown to an oath. It's kind of like things when I was a kid. I was trying to get a friend to believe me. You know, you start off with the, I promise. This is whatever. And then that turns into, I swear on my mama. And then, then that turns into, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. 
If I'm found to be a liar, may my pants be set afire. Thanks. Uh, but Peter's given a third opportunity, right? His third opportunity to make things right, get back, get back to Jesus where he belongs. And it says, after a little while, those standing, where, those sta- standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. <clears throat> that reminds me of my first neighborhood group, group meeting with the Broncos when I heard Maria say, Coupon. I thought, surely you are not from Texas. Uh, Coupon. Then Peter began to call down curses, and he swore, I don't know this man. Peter is publicly professing a disassociation with Jesus and his people. I don't believe in an unbaptism, but if there ever was an opposite of baptism, this is it. I mean, what is baptism? You're publicly declaring your faith to Jesus and the people of his kingdom. And he's literally doing the opposite of that right now. And then the rooster. I thought I was going to do a rooster call, but I'm not going to do it. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to get a picture of Hey Hey, but I, I found, do y'all have the other, there's the rooster. That's not Hey Hey from Moana, but it's, it's close. Rebecca said uh, Peter kind of looks like a goat boy here. Like, but like a holy goat boy because he's got the circle around his head. <coughs> so this rooster crows, comes in, and it completely shakes Peter up. Peter immediately remembers the words of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. When I picture this scene, when I picture Peter's realization of the moment, it comes through like a movie in my head. And you see the camera zoom in on Peter's face. Like, seriously, much like Jaws in that gut-wrenching scene when Chief Brody, like, he looks out and he just sees there's a shark amongst the swimmers. That rooster shook Peter's soul. It jarred him. It woke him up to how far he had drifted away. He may not have been able to remember the last three steps he took, But I assure you, he remembered the face of Jesus. And when he looked up, it was nowhere to be found. When I first mentioned this progression of Peter's denial, I called it unoriginal, and it is. I mean, hasn't it been happening exactly this way since the beginning? Adam and Eve's consideration of the snake turned into doubt, which turned into consuming the fruit, which turned into running and hiding from the Lord. The very Lord who loved them and wanted nothing more than to walk by their side. These progressions are so unoriginal, even they're even found in our very first psalm. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the counsel or company of the mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields fruit in its season, its leaves do not wither, whatever they do prospers. <clears throat> I know that it's so unoriginal because 
I keep acting through these same types of progressions myself. There are mornings when I don't sit with Jesus in prayer. That turns into missed opportunities to stand with Jesus during the work of my day. That turns into failure to walk with Jesus in kingdom mission. Peter denies firstly by isolating himself instead of standing with Jesus. Peter denies secondly by disassociating himself with Jesus through a lie. And Peter denies thirdly by swearing a public oath and disassociating himself with the people of Jesus. We may not be as vocal as Peter is in these moments, but I believe if we let our actions speak for us, there are days when you'll just find yourself sitting next to him. We start by just to lean away. But when we do that, when we lean away from Jesus, not only are we denying him, but we're disallowing his ever-flowing love towards us from filling us up. Then we begin to allow space for alternatives. Those alternatives creep in, and they eventually overcome us. We lose our focus, then we lose our way. And if it happens too long, eventually we look up, and we don't recognize where we are. But don't give up. There is hope. Don't give in to those feelings. Where is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord. The Lord who restores the world, the Lord who restores us. Jesus saw his murderers as they were murdering him and asks on their behalf for the Father to forgive them. That's our Lord. That is the one who calls us beloved. Kristen mentioned that word. Or someone on behalf of Kristen mentioned that word last week, the word beloved. I love that word so much because it's a word that means more than that. It's actually, beloved is a paraphrase of a translation. We shorten it to beloved in our Bibles, but the phrase is actually the ones whom God loves. That's what the Bible's calling you, the ones whom God loves. We fast forward just a bit more in the story. After Jesus has died, his tomb is found to be empty. Peter and the other disciples find Jesus exactly where he said he would, at the Sea of Galilee. They had last seen Jesus at the dinner table, right? The Last Supper. Then they all deserted him, and where did they find him? Waiting for them at the breakfast table. John 21 says this. When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. A third time, he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Jesus was lovingly waiting for Peter. He then walks Peter back through the three denials and restores him with three statements of love. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. God is constantly pursuing us. He's constantly waiting on us in love. When Adam and Eve hid from the Lord, God pursued them with love. When Cain killed Abel, surprisingly, the Lord even pursues him with love. When the Lord's own people rejected him in favor of idols and rituals, he sent the law and he sent the prophets to lovingly guide them back to himself. When Peter walked away from Jesus, Jesus pursued him. He restored him and he called him to what is coming next. That is our hope. That by being near Jesus in this season of suffering, he is restoring us, filling us with his love and forgiveness and calling us to follow him to what is next. So what is next? What is Jesus calling us to do? For me, I think that Trevor Hudson really hit the nail on the head this week in our communal readings uh, when he said, God, is, God passionately loves us, not for us to save it up in our hearts, but to give it away to those around us. You hear the same sentiment in what Pastor Adam says and what he's been saying, sowing into us. A step towards Jesus is a step towards others. God is restoring us so we then can turn around and restore others. I have just one more thought before we start to gather our belongings and planning our exit strategies. We end each week around the Lord's table. My hope for us in this meal, is that it can be a rooster's crow of sorts. That together, we're entering a moment with Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. Jesus shares his bread and his wine with us. And he then goes on to tell us how we will step away. Instead of trying to convince ourselves that he's wrong about that, May we just take a moment to lean in close to him and listen for those areas of our lives in which denial remains. When you find those denials, when you find those areas in your life, don't be tempted into fear. Don't be tempted into shame. Those always lead to a step away. But instead, be filled with love Be filled with confidence to step forward. For your Lord is already lovingly waiting for you at the next table. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this season. Thank you so much for suffering on our behalf, on the behalf of the world. Father, just help us to keep close to you.
to listen to you, to always be open to being filled with your love. Let us turn around and, and give that to others, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here. It is good to be God's people together. Would you stand together if you're willing and able and receive tonight's benediction. Go now and live in the spirit of your baptism, even when you are led into wild and hard places. With repentance and trust, give yourselves to God. And with fasting and prayer, strengthen yourselves against the ways of the tempter. And may God enfold you in tender and lasting love. May Christ be beside you in times of struggle. And may the Spirit guide you back to the path whenever you stray, that you may keep the covenant. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen. Go in his peace. You're dismissed.